0: Hello and welcome to Pushing Practice on This Is HCD. I'm Kellyanne McKircher, I'm a designer, a writer, and I use them they pronouns. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands in which I'm recording this podcast, the Wongo and Gadigal people of the Ori Nation, as well as all nations across Australia. This series aims to stretch our view of human-centred design through talking with practitioners who are working beyond the double diamond who are pushing practice. Today I'm joined by Lydie Klotz, an engineer, behavioral scientist, and author of the book, Subtract, the untapped science of less. We talk about subtraction as a critical capability for designers and design leaders. We talk about the science behind why we overlook subtractive change we're doing less, about the importance of working in the open, and of, in Cassie Robinson's words, stewarding loss. Let's get into it. Welcome, Lydie, to the podcast. Uh, Please tell us your pronouns and the land you're located on.
1: He, him, and I am located in central Virginia in the United States, and it's Monachan and Manahawken land.
0: And I wonder if you could tell folks about yourself, maybe what you do, and the questions that are interesting to you right now.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm a, by title, a professor at the University of Virginia here, and I teach engineering and architecture. Uh, I'm mainly interested in how we think about design. Uh, so all my research is in, or most of my research will be classified as behavioral science. Uh, in, in particular, how we think about changing things from how they are to how we want them to be, which is something that's pretty fundamental, but also cuts across all the Forms of design. Um, and then, you know, the book that I most recently wrote and the paper that most recently came out is looking at how we, how people systematically overlook subtraction as a design option. So when we try to change something from how it is to how we want it to be, you've got, we often jump right toward to, okay, what can I add to make this better, which is fine. But oftentimes we will add that thing and move on and not even consider subtracting, whether subtracting may have served us as well or or served us better. So um that's an example and I'm interested in all these things that are kind of fundamental to how we think about designing.
0: And I wonder if you could tell us about how you first arrived at this observation that <laughs> we overlook less.
1: Yeah, I've I've always been interested in this. I mean, I'm a designer who cares about sustainability and, you know, when you look around at the solutions, you realize that you can't just you can't just add our way out of this problem that has arisen from our from our editing, largely, uh, I would say that a real epiphany or kind of crystallizing experience for me um, was playing Legos with my son who was, he was two at the time. He's seven now, which is great because he can brag about like being the genesis of this epiphany. Uh, but so we're playing Legos when he was two and we're building this bridge. And the problem we had was that the bridge wasn't level. And I turned around behind me to add a block to the shorter tower. And by the time I turned back around, he had, Subtracted a block from the longer tower. And what that did was help me kind of take this focus on less or these minimalist designs and show me that helped me focus in on this act of taking away as what I was interested in. And why is it that or is it. In fact, at the time, it was still a question, is it that we all think the way that I did in that moment, which is, here's this thing I want to make better, what can I add to it? And if my son wasn't there randomly stumbling on the subtractive option, I would have just added and moved on and never been any wiser for it.
0: Mm. And I wonder if we could talk a bit more about this idea of subtractive change and what that means in, say, service or product or even architecture.
1: Yeah, the problem with the Lego example is it's so vivid, and it's physical. Um, but what we've what we are interested in with our research and what we've found this in and what you can think about it in is not just physical things, but also situations or social situations and, and ideas, uh, really, right? And And we we tend to operate the same way across all of those realms you know, whether it's a a Lego bridge or whether it's a, one of the things we used in our experiments was a a ridiculous travel itinerary in Washington DC. I mean, it was physically impossible to do all these things. And we, it was a drag and drop interface and we told people, okay, here's your travel, your day in Washington DC. How do you, how would you make it better? And people still added to it. (laughs) Oh, predominantly Um, very few people took something away. And so that's an example of, the same behavior in a social situation. And that's a trivial trip to Washington, D.C., but we can all you know, I do. Well, I I won't say we can all say I myself today have noticed myself just adding more things to do as as my kind of default way of of making my my day better. And so we do this in the physical situation or in the social situations and then also in in ideas. Right. It's really hard. It's really easy to listen to a podcast accumulate new ideas but you know how often do we think about okay what are the ideas that are in my head that are no longer i no longer think are true or that i've received evidence that kind of shows those ideas aren't accurate and all of those areas are areas where we we systematically overlook subtracting as a as a way to mm. make change does that make sense mm.
0: it does and it was reminding me of a a recent service that i've been redesigning and it would have been my natural impulse (laughs) to come in and say well what can I add to make the experience better and what can I add to make the operations better and I think I'd listened to your podcast on future fossil it might have been and it sort of just really stuck in my head and I went into the service redesign and rather asked the question of what is it we could take away in particular from frontline staff who are already really overwhelmed really busy the volume is enormous so we started thinking about what are things we could take away from the frontline task list and actually sort of outsource to different places or different ways of getting done so that when the person comes to have the service there's already a whole bunch of things that have been been done in different ways so that the kind of frontline experience is more about taking away the burden of you know
1: huge amount of admin
0: <laughs> to be yeah. able to actually focus on the human experience.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I and I that's such a great example of subtracting in complex systems, but also invisible systems. And and mm-hmm. so I would, you know, toot your horn a little bit here where to be able to subtract things in that situation, you had to understand what was going on, right? Any any mm-hmm. consultant could come in and say, okay, here's the three things you need to add. You need to know absolutely nothing about the organization to add things to it. Um but to to identify the things you need to subtract, you have to actually understand what's happening. And that's, I mean, that that lesson applies to all of us, right? There are all these kind of invisible things, invisible structures, invisible tasks that are um, occur throughout our days that if we pay attention to, the first step to subtracting them is to pay attention to what they actually are and systematically kind of identifying them so that we can evaluate whether they're actually good things to keep or not. I'm glad that worked. Yeah,
0: Yeah, me too. Um, I'm wondering what this is about. So, you know, perhaps it's not just designers that have this impulse to add things. And it sounds like through some of your experiments, the suggestion is that this is a broader sort of phenomenon. I mean, what's the science about why we just want to add things all the time?
1: Yeah, it's, it's designers, but I think everybody's designers, right? It's everybody who's trying to change things from how they are to how we want them to be. And also, it's not just humans. I mean, there's animals do this too, right? And so in my book, I explored some of the, you know, so the basic finding from the paper was that we overlook subtraction and that we add first and then move on. And so in the book, I could explore some of the, okay, why might this be the case? And you look at Mm -hmm. biology and evolutionary history, and then your mind starts to think, then you go towards, okay, what Things have been advantageous in us passing down our genes or in different species passing down their genes and, okay, adding food, that's been uh, evolutionary helpful behavior. But then you also learn about things like competence, which I knew about competence, this desire to show that we're making an impact on the world, but I didn't know how fundamental it was uh, in my go-to example for that is bowerbirds building nests. And so these, these birds will build these ceremonial nests and the male birds build them. The female birds go around and look at the the nests, decide which male to bait, mate with based on the ceremonial, ceremonial nest. And then the females go build a nest to raise the, the young. So the whole purpose of this first nest is just to show that the male who built it is competent and mm. is effective at interacting with the world, which seems silly, but It's not silly because what that is showing is that, okay, if a male is good at building a nest, then they probably have genes that are also good at, you know, acquiring food or or doing other things that you would want in in your kind of genetic lineage. And so we all share this desire to display competence and, you you know, see parallels in the McMansions and, and things like that. But you can also... that that whole idea of competence has been extended to successful task completion too, right? And so all these marginally useful tasks, you know, you feel good when you check off a to-do, even if it's not something that is kind of directly aligned with what you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. or your big picture goals. And, you know, because you're displaying competence, you're showing you can effectively interact with the world. And so that, that I think could be these biological forces, whether this desire to acquire things, this desire to display competence, that are are pulling us in a direction of adding. Of course, they're not to excuse it, right? I mean, one of the thing, fundamental ways that biolo- evolution works, at least, is adaptations and selections, right? So if you if you use evolution as a model for your designing, it's this is, in, in my view, how we should view adding and subtracting is more kind of complementary approaches to making things better right so evolution mm-hmm. uh I don't know, progresses is the right word but evolution moves by adding things and then sub- subtracting um and we could think about that in our designs too if, if if adding is a good way to to make something better then maybe subtracting is also a good way to make something better and we should consider mm-hmm. it so that's i mean and that's just the biological stuff i can go into the cultural and economic forces too if you'd like um but
0: do yeah, it i'd love to all right. hear it.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah so th- this is uh Chapter two is biology. Chapter three is are, are the cultural forces. And so it's like from the beginning of human civilization, right? When you don't have food and shelter and <laughs> books, it makes sense to add these things, right? And so mm-hmm. it, for a long time, adding has been a really good way to make change. It's like, okay, acquire more food and more food stability, acquire more. You know, we don't have a, a city. Let's build a hospital. Let's build an administrative building, um, build roads. And and the same with ideas, um, you know, there's not a abundance of information. So how can we kind of share and add information? Um, and for a long time, this adding the, the the cultures that added and expanded are the cultures that that turned into us. I mean, we we um, I, of course, not every culture is exactly the same, but the cultures that were like the. Monahawkin and the Monacan that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. I mean, those cultures have been eclipsed by adding cultures. Um, and yeah, so so there's that cultural history. And I think there's a, a good argument to be made that this is, you know, we're we're in a unique period where we have this opportunity to subtract, right? We can look at our cities and say, okay, this city's been built up, 90% of the highways are are effective and useful and you know, doing their job, moving people around. But what about this 10% that's, you know, separating a, a neighborhood or, um, you know, creating urban heat islands, uh, reevaluating the things that we have added and deciding which ones could be subtracted for, for good. And that's not a decision that our, our ancestors necessarily had the, uh, had the opportunity to make. And then, of course, there's the the economic forces. A lot of people jump right to those, right, where it's like, oh, capitalism, we can't add to and be capitalistic. And I, I, I'd argue that it's less about capitalism. Um, and certainly there's opportunities to improve capitalism or to improve our economic system. But I don't think capitalism precludes subtracting. Certainly people, you know, Google is a very subtractive web searching interface. Um, Mm -hmm. Apple has made a lot of money by subtracting features. And I think that subtracting as you you just explained how you subtracted to add value to this service um, organization, right? And so I I think the, the challenge is when we kind of conflate progress and growth and some of the you know the blunt economic metrics like gross domestic product right any mm-hmm. you add a prison and that that looks good for your gross domestic product even though it's not necessarily a, uh, a a positive thing or a thing that adds value to society so so certainly there are these kind of economic and and social and political forces that that sometimes push us to add as well
0: there's a few different things that i'm thinking about as you're talking and one is that there are particular organisations and systems in which nothing ever stops. So we have all these products and programs and services and we might even know that they don't work or they don't work very effectively but the actual process by which we end things and I know people like Cassie Robinson have done some work on this idea of stewarding loss um, and I think endings in general, there's not much attention paid to. So we just sort of don't do them. (laughs) And I wonder what your insights are around this business of like stopping things and ending things.
1: That's awesome. I I love that suggestion. I had, I'm going to, I wrote down stewarding loss so I can look it up, but, um, The thing I love about it is that subtracting is just really hard right and what our our research shows is that it doesn't come to mind and then when it does come to mind it's hard to pull off right because you can imagine all of these reasons why you wouldn't subtract a program you're basically saying, why are you going to do that to the people who started the program or maybe you're the one who started the program and it looks bad Mm and but if you can build in this, like, OK, after five years, this program is going away, then it's it's like this is a thing that is naturally going to happen. It becomes the, the default, which, as we've seen, adding is the default. And if you can, but if you can force people or kind of force this decision or force this point where something will be subtracted, that would be a really good way to kind of keep this unfettered growth in check. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I love that idea.
0: I wonder to what extent, as well, I think we all know about like the kind of sunk cost yeah. policy or bias or however we want to talk about that. And there is certainly something, and perhaps it does have that sort of um, evolutionary origin around wanting to hold on to things that have been made, that have had effort and time and energy. And I guess the, the winding things up is one way, but certainly the going further upstream around maybe more subtractive change in terms of service or product or operation in the first place but I guess even implementing a subtractive change might come to be not useful at a a period of time and still sort of deserve to be I don't know like composted (laughs) and sort of you know we learn what we need to learn and then we do away with it um the other
1: oh, thing that I was just yeah. go on, go on. I, I get it. I was uh, yeah. I just had the epiphany of what you were saying. So yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, this, uh, subtracting is not always the right solution. And yeah, we, you wouldn't want to permanently instill a subtractive change any more than you would want to permanently have an additive change. I mean, one example. And I, I also think that gives us some a little more courage to try them, right? So if something as simple as, oh, I'm going to shift my meetings with my graduate students, which is like my favorite part of the week. And I'm going to, instead of having a weekly meeting with each one, I'm going to have a bi-weekly meeting with each one. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I can always add it back.
0: Mm-hmm. I was also thinking, I guess, about should folks want to be more subtractive mm-hmm. designers or or design leaders, Yeah, you know, I know as designers we're obsessed with toolkits, but I'm I'm wondering from like a, a tools or prompts or or conversations or habits kind of perspective what it is that we need to add into our you know um, imaginary toolkit <laughs> to right. be more subtractive.
1: Yeah, I mean, listening to this podcast is a great start. I, reading the book hopefully helps you. Uh, or listening to the book helps you kind of instill it in even more deeply. Um, I would say also that specific reminders, uh, we didn't find much evidence in our research that, you know, reminders would increase the rates of subtracting. So if we said, Oh, look, on this problem you can add and you can subtract Mm -hmm. um, that would increase the rates of subtraction. And it was interesting for our research because the reminders that you could add didn't increase rates of adding. So it was perfect proof that like, okay, the problem here is we're not even thinking of subtraction because when you remind people they can, more people do it. But we are thinking of adding. You give them a reminder, they're like, well, of course, we already were thinking of that. Um, But that reminder didn't necessarily carry over to other experiments, right? And so I think, uh, so giving yourself specific reminders, like if you know that what you do is design... You know, you do service design and you say, OK, here's my process and you might, here are the five steps that I've kind of developed for the process mm-hmm. that I use and go and work with an organization. It's like, have I r- reminded myself to consider taking away barriers to the change that I'm seeking? Um, and, you know, I imagine most professionals are already kind of thinking that way, but I'd use it as an illustrative example of think about the reminders and put them into the whatever your process is, so that you're not uh, you, so that it's not possible to then overlook this as an option in the future. Mm. Um, and so, when you're actually thinking about subtraction, which you could do right after this podcast, you can say, "Okay, here are the five reminders I'm going to put in place in my life to to make sure that I don't overlook it anymore." And that would be one way of of uh, practically making sure that this stays in your toolbox.
0: I was just thinking as well around. How we teach design, and yeah. often when we've sort of got past discovery and we've defined a problem or an opportunity, and we get into the kind of develop part or the you know designing part, very seldom do I see in design education a focus on both the I, I sort of think about it as, yes, we can develop ideas, we might also just need to join up things that are kind of too disparate across the system. We might need to find something that's already working and kind of amplify that across the system. And more recently, as I've been teaching, I've also been including the subtractive stuff to say, well, there might actually be things we need to take away. um, And that might be outcome creating equal to, or more so than adding things or joining things up and, I'm curious about other design educators, what they're including in, in particularly that part and whether we can sort of have more of a focus on, on subtraction, not where it harms. Because I think the pointy end of this that, you know, gives me a slight nervousness is when you already don't have enough subtracting yes. isn't that desirable. So it's no, kind of maybe, it's... you know.
1: That's out of scope for our conversation, yeah, and I'm, but I'm glad you brought it up. Is, the whole point here is subtractions that, that make things better, not subtractions yeah. that you know kind of streamline things for some dictator or, yeah, see you know, somebody who's trying to just bring the most profit out of a situation. It's not, how can we subtract to make things better? Yeah, and I, I love the education question. I teach engineers and architects. Um, I'll give a writing example of how I try to do it. Uh, and so I'll I'll assign the 10-page the paper is due like halfway through the semester, right? And then a five-page paper kind of two weeks before the end. And then the last thing is a two-page paper. And, I, you know, I don't know if that's the perfect way to do it, but it does. One thing that happens, right, in education is the same thing as everywhere else, where we kind of cram into this very end deadline. And it doesn't respect the fact that subtracting actually takes more work, right? Because to subtract something, mm-hmm. you you have to add have added in the first place to make a good two page paper you have to have written the the five pages right and uh and so um so by spreading it out in that way i think we can kind of allocate the subtracting the the time that it that it needs um and also show that for our students the other way that i think that works is that you know students aren't any different than me if I'm doing a consulting design where, you know, I, if I give just the two-page page version, I'm worried that they're going to think that I was lazy or that I didn't do a good job or I didn't even think about the 10-page mm. the version. And so if you can give students this opportunity to, okay, show me all your work. Great. There's the 10 pages. Now show me the, the five good pages. Now show me the two best pages. Um, I think that that Kind of gets us past that that competence barrier of you know that subtracting doesn't display competence, Um, and in this case, it does display competence because you've kind of flipped around what the metrics are. It's like now the the best one is the thing that explains the most in this two pages, or or does the best job within this two pages. Uh, So yeah, I, I love the education examples.
0: So as you were talking, I was just thinking, and I might be wrong and totally on the wrong like track but like is is subtracting similar to curating or editing so I guess when I think about the sort of practices that curators use and the practices that perhaps editors use like is this something that those types of professions are just better at we can learn from
1: they claim to be um, <laughs> we wanted to if the pandemic hadn't happened we we had plans to go to an editing conference and study like the editors mm-hmm. and see if they were better at subtracting in other domains um, and cur- i hadn't thought of curators, but yeah that's the exact same thing right you're um, curating in in all its forms, right whether it's the uh, you know curating art or whether you're curating the three products you want to show to somebody in the grocery store um they're they you're essentially a a process of subtracting. One thing that's interesting there, and I think it highlights that the systematic disadvantage that subtracting has, is that subtracting is invisible. So if you think about all this amazing stuff that we read every day that has been improved by editors, nobody thinks about the editor because what they did is invisible, right? They just took away words and uh, that's the same in the physical world like if you take away a highway through the middle of the city yeah people might notice it first but like 20 years later nobody says oh that's that's a beautiful spot because the highway's gone they just say that's a beautiful spot and so when we subtract it's less visible which means there are less reminders of subtracting when we're walking around in the world and i think that's one of the best theories for why We've evolved not to think of it as much, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. we're not surrounded by reminders of subtraction in the same way that we are reminders of addition. So the this gets back to Mm -hmm. one of your your tips, ka. Uh, You know, so in addition to giving ourselves these kind of written reminders, can we make these physical reminders of subtraction? And you know, that's as far as I've gotten with that one. I don't have great examples of physical subtractions but i do think when we subtract something we have to do a little extra work to put in place a reminder that hey this better experience this beautiful thing Mm -hmm. this better idea has been brought to you by subtraction and then that would help people think of it more uh for future situations
0: i wonder if there's like a movement there of like brought to you by subtraction (laughs) um (laughs) i was just i was just thinking about your excuse me your story before about the teaching example and one of the things that I've been doing for quite a few years and maybe hadn't realized what this was about is always providing to people at the end of a design project or say the end of a discovery phase a very long descriptive kind of these are all the things that we heard this is all the detail about the method Um, and then a very short version. And I often send those things at the same time and sort of say, look, here's the short version, here's the really long thing if you really want to understand all the ins and outs, all the different types of data that was collected. And maybe there's actually something kind of intuitive in there around because what I notice is people often want to know that the long thing is there. They don't read it, but it somehow sort of gives them perhaps some comfort about you know that things have been adequately paired back and if you really want to trace the origin story of that you could like the clues are there
1: yeah I mean, that's an amazing thing you do as a teacher i can't i mean the the value in that is because it's such hard work to distill something down it's so you're spitting back to them everything they presented plus your distillation that's a uh yeah you have your students are very fortunate um and but i yeah i think that there are some practical tips out of that too right where you know say say you do this i'll think of an example from my world so when i'm presenting to engineers you know the convention in engineering is a powerpoint slide with all the stuff on it to show that you know what you're doing um and of course we know that's not the best way to present information scientifically nobody can possibly process all that stuff and so one way to kind of thread that needle and not look like you're bucking all the conventions, but also actually share information in a way that's useful is to give the streamlined presentation that just maybe has like one assertion on each slide and a little bit of evidence, but then also give the handout that has all the stuff. And again, nobody's, you know, maybe somebody goes through all the detail, but it's mainly there as evidence that you've done the work to do all the additive stuff. Um, And that, that's helped. uh, That suggestion has helped students. I do feel like they're, they're, more likely to strip down and really think about okay what is the what is the essence of what I'm doing um if you if they also have this cushion of being able to provide the ten pages which um, shows that they actually did work
0: mm. I wonder too you know something that's become increasingly popular particularly in public sector innovation and design, is this focus on working in the open and kind of working in ways that are are more transparent and not just squirreling away, you know, mm-hmm. in the office with your post-it notes. And then because I, cause I think that's where a disconnect can happen is the – it's a pretty big leap to get from a messy wall of post-it notes into like a set of three insights for an entire organizational or system to act on and make decisions based on. And I wonder if there's something for designers in particular around being better at showing their thinking – so that when the conclusion that's reached is a subtractive one, it's not this great shock to everyone, but yeah. rather there's a series of like breadcrumbs that have led up to that.
1: I, I think you've solved my problem that I couldn't, this, this noticeability problem for subtraction. And, and when you talk about it in terms of showing the process, right? Because if, yeah, if we did a better job of that, then you people would see the three options that you considered before you came down to the one option. And then there would the there's the the evidence of the subtracting. Um, it's mm. the same as if you you know if everybody saw the tracked changes version of your yeah. article, or they could choose to click on it if they wanted to. Then they would see the benefits of of editing. Um, so I really like that one. I mean, obviously that the reason for doing that is that it has just transparency benefits that are positive mm. in general. But I think it would also show the show the subtraction and make it less likely to overlook it in in future. Future options. Mm.
0: I was as I was reading through the the co authored Nature paper. um It describes, you know, we have lots of sayings like less is more, um and in the world of design, we have John Maeda's laws of simplicity that have been around for some time. um And I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds more principles and frameworks that deal with, you know, I don't know if conceptually simplicity and less are quite always the exact same thing but you know those two ideas and of course it's easy to say that and quite hard to do that actually inside of an organization inside of a culture that you know prioritizes doing more and having more and you know these kind of signs of competency I'm wondering more from a skill level or a capability level what it is that sort of individuals and teams need to do to be more subtractive like is there things we have to unlearn if that's such a thing
1: hmm. yeah it's funny um because as I was thinking about the you know the takeaways for the book right and uh and you immediately jump to okay here are the three new things you need to know and it's exactly like you said some of it is is what do you what do you unlearn um I think that the this is a little abstract, but I still think useful is that, you know, positioning these ideas as binary is a really big problem, right? When we think about adding and subtracting and one of our tendencies is to be like, okay, if I add, then I can't subtract. Or, you know, one thing, one criticism that I'll take that I'll get, which is completely unfounded. Some of the criticism is founded, but this is unfounded. Is that, uh, you know oh Lighty just thinks he just wants us to subtract he doesn't like adding it's like no I, adding's great i think if i had to choose one or the other i would choose adding but uh <laughs> but i'm just pointing out that we overlook this huge, huge huge potential and so that's a product of this binary thinking which binary thinking is helpful in logic and reasoning right if you can position two things as opposites if mm-hmm. one's true then the other isn't true but it's not helpful when the things aren't actually opposites and in this case they're they They couldn't be more similar; they're complementary approaches to to making change right they're, These are our two basic options for trying to make something better um and so if we looked at them in that way, I think that would be a a huge you know to your question about unlearning. That's a thing to unlearn is stop thinking of add or subtract it's add and subtract. These are both complementary ways to make change. I think that would be my my number one uh thing to unlearn
0: i was just thinking as well about as you were describing this false binary if there is something that's in the middle of these things not to sort of just lay them yeah. out as an arbitrary kind of spectrum but if there was something in the middle i was thinking about the idea of doing a remix and i know that's a bit 90s like making a mixtape or <laughs> like a cd or whatever <laughs>
1: that's, but that's was, my era that's, <laughs> well, stay in too. the 90s yeah <laughs> Mixed
0: and i was but. thinking about i also don't think we remix things quite enough so sometimes it is that like if i think about a service as a collection of parts whether it's people processes resources like physical materials sometimes it is the remixing of things that also can produce a good outcome and we might not we might subtract some things we might need to add something but yeah I wonder just about the remix as a as a unexplored yeah, well. you're,
1: maybe that's the next book. Yeah, that should be yeah. your book. Uh, the um, <laughs> your, your next your next one. Uh, but no, that's exactly right. I mean, adding and subtracting are not the only options. And I, I did, remix is a catchier. I would think of it as yeah, like kind of rearranging. But remix is way catchier. So I, there is that massive remix option, which is just like like look at how things are organized. And I agree with that. I mean, I don't think we we pay very little attention. It seems to me. Uh, to the relationships between things, right? We've, we're very focused on okay. Here's the here's the ten things that are in this organization, and if we keep the same ten things, it'll behave exactly the same way. But that's not true at all, right? If you rearrange those same exact ten things, you can get completely different outcomes. Um, so remix, big big category. Probably also overlooked, but I don't have the scientific evidence to back it up. You
0: to... can have that one. You can okay. explore the remix. You're
1: not. <laughs> yeah, all right.
0: And, and we can have another conversation in like a year or two years about remixing. About the
1: remix. That would be like, it would be four years probably between the research, the, for the research. But um, yeah, book it.
0: Yeah. Well. I'm being a bit optimistic. It would seem. Um, so I'd love for you, as we start to wrap up, Lady to maybe tell folks about your book, like we'll obviously put it in the show notes, but maybe, you know, the name of the book, where folks can get it and, and what they'll take away from it.
1: Uh, yeah. So the book is called subtract the untapped science of less. You can get it anywhere. Um, there's an audio book version. Uh, there's a Kindle version. Uh, it's at, get it through your independent bookstore if, if, uh, if you prefer that, I'd encourage that. Um, but yeah. And, um, so the, the book is an uh, explanation of the scientific evidence, which, K.A., you mentioned the paper with my co-authors, uh, Ben Converse, Gabe Adams, and Andy Hales, which, you know, the 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 book is impossible without the paper, but the paper is just the first chapter of the book, and then the book goes on to explore what are the reasons for this thing that we've observed painstakingly through all these studies, um, so the cultural evolutionary um, Economic and social reasons, and then with that understanding of the reasons why the forces that are kind of preventing us from subtracting some of the practical ways that we can, uh, we might be able to use it. I would say that it, you know, and again, it's it's not prescriptive self help, and I just don't think that there's a, it's an appropriate thing for prescriptive self help in this case because it hopefully does in the best cases is uh, give. Uh, smart people like your podcast listeners, um, this this way of viewing the world that will help them see more options. I guess to put that another way, it's like, I'm not to sound pandering to your listeners. It's like, I just don't understand the ins and outs of everybody's job (laughs) and how they would be applying subtraction in it. And so what the book does is tries to explain why this is happening, give a, a series of examples from different areas of how people have subtracted, and then and when it's successful, which uh, I get to hear some really positive feedback from designers, that it's uh, it, it helps them think of new subtractions that aren't mentioned in the book.
0: And I have a feeling that when we share this episode, we might ask people, what have they or what will they subtract and what outcomes does that have? And hopefully that then gives you a whole bunch more um, material as well as helps us like work in the open with each other around. What are these options?
1: That's been absolutely my favorite part of of writing the book, and completely unexpected. I thought, you know, just write the book and throw it out there, and people see what happens. But uh, hearing how people use this, and or even if it's you know they had this epiphany before reading the book, those subtractions are just priceless. And so I would love to see those. Ka, thanks for doing that.
0: Well, it's um, been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, We'll put a range of links in the show notes to Laddie's work um, as well as some of the examples we talked through today like the stewarding loss um, stuff and and John Maeda's uh, Laws of Simplicity if folks haven't seen those. So um, an enormous thank you.
1: Of course. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Pushing Practice on This Is HCD. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is HCD network, feel free to visit thisishcd.com. You can sign up to the community newsletter, learn about upcoming online community gatherings, or join the Slack channel where you can connect with thousands of other human centered design practitioners around the world. Thank you for listening and see you next time.